am Lindsay, and welcome to the Intuitive Psychologist podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I've been in the mental health field for over 15 years. During my spiritual awakening, I've realized that psychology is really missing the mark. I believe that traditional therapy combined with spirituality can actually lead to long-term healing and growth. And I've actually had the luxury of seeing this happen within my own private practice where I've try to incorporate the two together. My intention for this podcast is to discuss my opinions about spirituality and therapy, and I like to do it in a fun way. My hope is that I'll inspire other people to explore different ways to improve their lives, but I'd also like to normalize what many people have been going through or are currently going through so that you can know that you're not alone and that you're not crazy. And maybe along the way I can inspire a few therapists along the way to actually think outside the box and to offer their own version of intuitive healing. If this is interesting to you, then join me on this journey as we try to have fun and explore an informal way to bridge the gap between psychology and spirituality. friends back again figured today should be a good day to talk about doing your own work I'm gonna make a grand sweeping statement a generalization about mental health professionals and I know that this does not apply to every single person but I will say the majority of mental health workers are wounded healers okay A lot of people that have experienced difficult upbringings, maybe a traumatic experience in their life, um, watched somebody in their family have alcoholism, drug addiction, mental health issues, that kind of thing. That often can inspire people to want to help others to not ever have to feel what they went through or what they saw in somebody that they cared about. And so A lot of those folks will become, well not become therapists, but a lot of therapists have had that sort of history. And it's noble and it's beautiful to say, I suffered and I want to try to help others not ever suffer like I did, not ever feel the pain that I felt. And so this comes from such a good and beautiful space, but it's important that every single person that gets into the mental health field does their work so I ask you have you done your work and even if you're not a therapist in the the mental health field have you done your work have you done the work of being a human on this planet and learning and growing from the fucked up shit that you either had to witness or endure are you growing are you doing your work so For me, um, my upbringing was a mixed bag of some really good memories, um, some, some love and affection, and a lot of turmoil. My father was born with no hand, and unfortunately for him, his mother did not handle that, I think, in a healthy way at all. Now, granted, taking this, please, as a side note, little asterisk, sidebar, whatever you want to call it, 
everything that I will talk about on this podcast is from my perspective. And obviously my perspective is not the whole perspective, right? There's my side, my sister's side, my mom's side, my dad's side, everyone involved side. And then the truth is somewhere in the middle of all of that. So please take this with a grain of salt that this is coming from my point of view and from my memories, which my memories are fucking fading. I don't know why. Anyway, so my father was born with no hand. And this was, God, I wish I knew how old he would be now. <laughs> we'll say in the 50s or 60s he was born. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, my grandpa was in a war. And my grandma was very stressed out, so she took a medication, and the medication actually caused this deformity. And so because of my grandma's baggage of shit, she uh, probably was embarrassed that her son was deformed, and it you know, showed ill onto the family that she gave birth to a deformed little boy. And from what I have been told, she... And my, uh, my uncle were not very nice to him. Um, she would not hem his shirts so that his shirt could be raised a little bit so he could, um, you know, the shirt wouldn't go over the part of, like the little part of his hand that was missing, right? And she wouldn't do that. Um, he pretty much had to fend for himself to figure it out. And obviously he must have felt so much shame and embarrassment um, teased, I'm sure, ridiculed. I know he was by his brother. His brother was, you know, they both were good looking, but my, my uncle was, uh, good looking, successful, um, outgoing, fun, like people loved him. And then my dad, you know, walked around with the shame and guilt. He would hide his hand. Um, he did use humor at times, uh, which I think humor is a huge coping mechanism. But he would, um, he would hide it. In most of the pictures that I have of him, um, his hand is either behind his back or in his pocket. Um, he used to enjoy playing a bar, a bar trick. Uh, he would ask a guy at the bar that was drinking, hey, I bet you 10 bucks that you can't fist, fit your fist into your mouth. And the guy would be like, sure, I'll take the bet. And he couldn't. And then my father pulled out his missing hand and stuck that in his mouth and won the bet. So... He would make fun of it, which can be great if it's coming from a healed place. But if it's coming from a shame place, you know, that's sort of making fun of himself as opposed to making light of the situation. Anyway, he didn't handle it well. I'm sure he didn't feel too good about himself. Maybe he didn't even feel um, manly. I, I don't know. But it created a angry and bitter man who would fall into depression and at times he could get verbally violent at times he got physically violent um, but it was a very tumultuous upbringing of uh, fear uh, I often felt as a child, the old, the old adage that my parents experienced when they were kids was, kids are to be seen and not heard. And this was also the time frame um, when parents would say, you know, go out, do your thing, be home by, uh, by the time the streetlights come on for dinner, which part of that was awesome and amazing, and I'm so grateful for that. And part of that created this feeling of neglect that I had, that 
Nobody in my family really wanted to spend time with me or enjoyed me. I would do my people pleasing of, you know, dad, let's go play baseball. I could give two shits about sports. No, I don't want to. Not now. Hey, let's go play board games, which I did love. No, I don't feel like it. Hey, let's go play in the pool. Not into it. Don't think so. So, and my sister was five years older. So, of course, you know, when I was in middle school, she was in high school. I wasn't cool. She was cool. Like, it just, it was just difficult for me to feel like I fit in, I belonged, and that I was loved. So, obviously, that created some fucked up shit in my head. Um, But going back to my father. So, he had a very tough upbringing. From what I'm told, his father was kind to him. But, again, his mother and his brother were not. They were cruel. They were mean. They were neglectful. My father succumbed to his depression and shame and took it out on us, right? So any little thing that we did wrong, he would criticize, he would belittle, he at times got angry and violent. Um, He didn't do his work. And he ended up taking his life when I was 19. And I do plan to talk about suicide and create a whole episode about suicide. Uh, Obviously, his death, how that affected me. Um, Suicide in general, research, all that stuff. Um, You know, my time as the suicide prevention coordinator. And then the spiritual aspects that I, I personally have about suicide. But that's not today. So he took his life. He ended his suffering, he ended his shame, he ended his guilt, he ended his sadness, he ended his self-hatred, which was then, you know, projected onto us and his environment. So, when I was in middle school, I was not managing this well at all. I was uh, battling severe depression, suicidal thoughts, self-harm behavior, and I got caught. And thank God that I got caught because it started me into therapy. Now, I was barely a teenager, could care less about therapy, didn't want to do it, didn't really know what to do. You know, it it is what it is. If you don't want to do the work, you're not going to get anything out of therapy. So I didn't get anything out of that. That's okay. She was a kind lady. Um, But I loved self-help books. And obviously, I pursued a degree in psychology. And maybe now you understand a little bit why I wanted to figure my fucking family out and figure out why nobody loved me, nobody cared about me. I seemed to be more of a nuisance than I was anything else. And so um, so I pursued psychology. So learning psychology was super helpful for me to start to understand about why my mom may have appeared to not want to spend time with me or want to do anything with me. Um, I began to understand why my sister may not have wanted to do things with me because of her age and just was a mismatch of timing, you know. And then to understand a bit about my dad, my grandma, and my uncle who were cruel to myself, my mom, and my sister. Um, Absolutely cruel. Uh, Anyway. So... I read self-help books. I continued through therapy throughout my entire life. I have gone in and I've gone out of therapy. And obviously, the more that I put into therapy, the more I got out of it. So I did self-help help books. 
Um, I did my own therapy. I did my work to look at the pieces of me that were not working, the pieces of me that I hated, the pieces of me that I had shame. Um, A lot of self-esteem issues uh, that I still deal with to this day. And um, I think that we never stop. I, I think you should never stop actually trying to understand yourself more complexly and you know, accept yourself more and to look at the shadowy aspects of yourself and to um, learn to love and accept it. Because in, in reality, we are all just doing the best we can in every moment. So I, uh, I went to a therapist that I think this was kind of a turning point for me in therapy. We were, I, I mean, almost all of my therapy in my 20s and probably, nah, we'll stick with 20s. All of my 20s was working on my dad issues. (laughs) And one therapist, I really liked what she did. She had me imagine, and maybe she was woo-woo. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe she had some woo-woo-ness to her. But she had me imagine that I met my, my father on a hill, but he was like a little boy. And I imagined the little boy that he was that was so hurt. And so felt unloved and so felt criticized and shamed for who he was and how he was born. And I had so much compassion and love for that little boy. Because in reality, that is the man who showed up to parent me. That was the wounded child that tried his best and ended up just causing pain to himself and to others. And... That was, I think, when I started to forgive my father, when I could see him for that that little boy that just couldn't get past that awful childhood. And so then I began, as I began to forgive him and to understand him, I didn't feel as bad about myself because I realized that it was just him projecting his shit onto me. And then um, I had a marriage that was quite difficult. I pretty much married my father. Yep, I did the stereotype. I married my father and repeated that cycle. And it was very painful. And when I divorced him, uh, it was very scary. I was so terrified. And I was stalked. And I looked at that relationship when I got out and I said, what the fuck is wrong with you that you allowed somebody to treat you like this? And then you married him and you married him. So that was my next major turning point was when I realized that I did that to myself. I knew who I was getting. And yes, he turned into a much more difficult man to be with once the vows were exchanged and we were married. It did dramatically change. Um, There were a lot of things that I still, you know, I have some shit over. I'll deal with it. I'm still working on it. But, um, But yeah, I had to really look at myself and say, "It, you're not the victim of this relationship. But you need to take a hard look as to what you think about yourself 
that you allowed this to happen and that you were in a relationship with a person like this. And so I did. And I'm not saying that it was pretty and that it didn't involve a lot of messiness and hardships. And I didn't have therapy right after the the divorce. I really just did a lot of self-help books and a lot of reflecting and a lot of just sitting with myself and realizing how much I did not love myself, how much I did not value myself. And while I logically understood why, I needed to learn to love myself. So I buried myself in self-help books. I loved it. It was great. Um, Side note, uh, sort of my working philosophy on this right now is uh, logically understanding the concepts, reading the books, watching YouTube videos that explain things, all that. Knowledge is key, right? So the knowledge can go in then I think it can be very helpful to have a therapist or a spiritual coach or life coach or some professional that can help you transform the knowledge and hold you accountable with the knowledge and, you know, call you out on some of your shit or help guide you in places that you're, you're unconsciously trying to hide from so they can guide you through it. And then the final step to really make the change is to be out with people and really put this into practice. So obviously I eventually dated people. I dated this wonderful man, firefighter. Um, if he's listening or anyone that knows him, he was, he was so kind and so patient with me while I was still working through all of my hate and anger and bitterness about the divorce and the circumstances around that. And, uh, and he was great. And I, it's not like it was linear and all of a sudden I just do my work and poof, I love myself. Nope. But I continued to do the work. Um, I did go back into therapy numerous times to continue to work on myself and other issues so that I could learn to love myself. But I say all this because as therapists, we have to do our work. You have to know when you're walking in to see a client, What is your shit and what is their shit? So what are my biases? What are my ugly pieces? What are the areas that trigger me to want to be performative and prove that I'm I'm worthy, I'm doing a good job, blah, blah, blah. Where am I I hiding? Because I don't like confrontation. So I don't want to confront a, a client because then it might get messy and I hate confrontations. I need to know that about myself. I need to know that when somebody gives me a compliment, that it's not cool to just throw it away or to push the compliment away because that might actually offend the person. And why can't I just say with gratitude in my heart fully, wow, thank you. That really means a lot. I really appreciate that. But then also conversely in this, I learned with uh, the prison work was when to know when you're manipulated because somebody knows your weaknesses. And God damn, did I realize what my weakness was quick in the prison because they sniffed it out fast. And my weakness was that I wanted to help. And so this strong desire to help and fix people could be manipulated. That they could say things to me like, 
you're the only one that understands me. You're the only one that gets me. And I need to know how to tell the difference. And the only way I can tell the difference is if I do my work. Every day, I need to show up and know where am I at? Where is my energy? Where are my thoughts? Where are my emotions? How is my body right now? Because if I'm tapped in to what is going on with me fully and completely good and bad, then I can pick up when something is not me. And that may be moments where I am sitting with a client and I start to have a pain in my body. And I go, wait, that's not my pain because I know myself. And then I can go, oh, hey, what's going on with your body? Are you, do you have pain? Okay, cool, you do. Awesome. Let's go into that pain and see what that pain is trying to tell you. Let's work through that pain. And then if I feel calm, but then I go in with a client and now all of a sudden I'm feeling anxious and worked up and worried, that tells me, oh, maybe my client is. Let me check in. So it's important that you know yourself fully and completely because if you don't know yourself, you don't know how to check yourself and no, not check yourself before you wreck yourself, but maybe a little bit, you know, I'm just saying, a little checking, wrecking, whatever. Anyway, but you need to know yourself. You need to be able to walk in and know what is you and what is your client. You need to know where could I judge this client? Where could I identify too much with this client because this, so, this story sounds too much like me and now I'm not objective, which let me tell you, I do that too. I do all these things. I am far from perfect. Y'all probably already know that shit. Anyway. <clears throat> so it's important to do your work, especially if you're going to be in the mental health field. And then the other reason why it's important to do your work is because you need to know how to disconnect so that you can maintain energy to keep this up. It is. It can be draining if you're if you're getting too invested, if you are being pulled in too much, if you're not cutting, you know, the emotional cords of the clients, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're going to burn out. And you need to know that. You need to know when you're feeling burnout. And you won't know that unless you do work on yourself, do self-care. So let's talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls I've seen with folks that don't do their work. I'm, I'm sad to say that as wounded healers, many of us don't do the work. And many of us are recreating our traumas in our work. We are getting wrapped up too much in our own narrative with our clients and our patients. And so I've seen many psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers... LMFTs, who appear to be a fucking mess. Now, side note again, I am not saying that people that are messes and haven't dealt with their shit cannot, that, that they're not capable of showing up and being amazing therapists. I actually do believe that many can separate the two. Hot mess in real life, super present and helpful um, as therapists. But still, I mean, that's a slippery slope where, you know, um, I have one person that I worked with that they didn't do their work and 
they were too wrapped up into either the money or the desire to be to be uh, well respected in their community and they changed test scores on um, on a battery of tests because the results didn't show what what was needed there there was some shadow stuff that popped up in the test work and I and I had to point that out because I was the one doing the testing and this person did actually change scores and said, well, that's not what they meant. That's not what they meant. And, and I was like, I ain't touching that shit with a 10-foot pole because that is unethical as fuck. Um, and then I've seen people who haven't done their work and they're angry and they're aggressive with their staff. Um, they, I've seen psychologists threaten coworkers. I've seen psychologists stalk um, co-workers, I have seen, I've seen some bad shit and that's people not doing their work and we should be representing ourselves and doing the best that we can at all times. And if, and if you ever see yourself starting to fall into pitfalls, just get help. It's okay. We all do it. We all do it, but you have to do your work so that you can be the best therapist. And if you're not a therapist and not in the mental health field, but you're just spiritual, you need to be the best you and learn your lessons so that you can be there for the ones that you love. You can be happier. You know, you can be a better parent. You can be um, a better partner, a better daughter, a better sister or brother, husband, whatever. You have to do your work. So I've seen a lot of uh, my colleagues I've even seen people get manipulated because they were too um, involved in the narrative of them being a helper and a rescuer and a saver. We cannot save our clients. We merely stand next to them and point to the shadows. And we point to the left and we point to the right and we say, hey, did you see that over there? Do you want to give that a try? No? Okay, cool. Hey, look at that over there. Do you want to go give that a try? Let's maybe give this a whirl. Let's go look at that. Okay, great. You want to? I'll hold your hand and I'll guide you. But I do not rescue you. You rescue yourself. And if you haven't done your work, you can lead people down the wrong way for the wrong reasons. So, what I will end with is my belief about the spiritual reason behind doing your work. I truly believe that before I incarnated on this earth, as a spirit, I set out with specific people in my life and specific events and traumas and hardships so that it would teach me to grow it would push me to expand. It would help me to understand my clients more. I feel like I have been through so many lifetimes in my almost 40 years of life. <clears throat> anyway, we don't have to think about that. But I feel like all of these things that I've experienced personally or witnessed through others in my personal life gave me data, data points 
so that I could use this information because my, my goal has always been, okay, this is fucked up. Let me feel it. Let me, ooh, let me feel this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. Okay, what was the lesson? And once I have the lesson and I can understand what that was trying to teach me, then I can have a better understanding as to what my clients are going through and how they can feel. And so by knowing this information about myself and growing and learning and feeling the pains, I feel like I chose to come into this life with a lot of hardships, a lot of hardships. We're talking relationships, marriage, family, finances, schooling, work hardships, uh, dealing with authority, all these things. I feel like I chose to experience all that stuff so that it would push me to grow and give me data points for my clients. And the data points help me to go, okay, I think I understand what they're coming from. Let me use my psychology. Let me understand what I learned in school. And let me take my perspective of how we are as souls. And let me try to use all of that information to try to help guide my clients into health and healing. Now, that doesn't mean that all of my experience trans, transmutes or transforms or translates is the word I was fucking going for, but I couldn't fucking transit out. Anyway, it translates and it doesn't always translate for my clients perfectly. And that's fine. I don't need to understand what every single person has gone through because I have gone through so much shit. It just helps me to kind of have a barometer as to where they may be. And then I check in with them. I check in with, uh, you know, what I know from schooling because that is so important. Um, and then I try to use that as a guidance tool to help my clients. Um, but I also, <laughs> I also have to be aware that at times I, c- I could overuse that information of the experiences that I have and, and project that onto my clients too much and, and think that they had the same experience or the same perception or the same feelings as they did. So it's very important to use it as a data point and then to check in and sort of um, and be curious with your clients to see, okay, are you off? Are you on? Is this you? Am, am I tapping into me too much? Um, am I you know, experiencing my own shit too much in this? Or is this me being able to relate to them a little bit deeper? And so, you know, that's, that's a work in progress. Um, the other reason why it's super important, so I, I gave my spiritual thought process around all this that, you know, as healers, everyone that's come into this um, that wants to do some form of healing, whether it's with mental health or spiritual healing or physical healing, there's a lot of nurses and doctors that are super spiritual that are starting to awaken to their gifts and can start to merge um, their spirituality with their medical field, which which can be so beautiful. Um, where was I fucking going with that? That's a great question. Anyway, oh yes, so that we all choose this, you know, as healers, knowing that we're about to come into earth to help heal, we choose to experience these things so that we can relate, so that we can be motivated to wanting to get into a healing field, but we have to do our work or else it's all in vain and we're not going to be as helpful as we need to be. And we may even hurt our clients if we're not aware of our own bullshit. Whew. 
that was a lot, right? So the other thing that I just want to touch on before we end today is you have to do your work so that when you get the formal education about therapy or psychology or the medical field or whatever, you have to do your work, you have to do your studies, and you have to master your studies before you can start to play with it and um, get creative with providing healing treatment because you cannot go into healing and at least in therapy you should not go into that not paying close attention to what the research says to what the um, all the all the therapists along the way that have helped to shape and shift our profession you need to learn from the masters you need to do your work and then when you've mastered both of those then you can play with getting creative on how to effectively create your own intuitive practice but you cannot go into it with an intuitive intention if you haven't done your work and you don't know who you are and you haven't learned the techniques and the skills that the science piece of it has given to our profession So, hopefully that wasn't too bogged down and you all aren't screaming going, oh, just shut the hell up already. But I really appreciate all of the support and, um, you know, we're all doing good work. Just keep at it. Remember to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. Do your work. And never forget that the light is always within you. Take care, everyone.